Du lyssnar på poddversionen av ett program från Studentradion 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller där poddar finns. Av upphovsrättsliga skäl är musiken förkortad. Utrikespolitik. Det är inga pajaskonster. Det är inte hehe och Patriotism, nationalism and romantic views from warfare went hand in hand with the start of the First World War. But the opening months of this war would cause extreme shock because of the large amount of casualties caused by modern weapons. Modern artillery, machine guns, flamethrowers and chemical weapons. Modern warfare had begun. Since then, warfare has rapidly developed and is still rapidly developing. Today we look at some of these new forms of warfare, how future warfare will look like and how it shapes conflict. We'll discuss cyber warfare, killer robots with an interview fragment from someone from the Swedish Peace and Arbitration Society and also how a hypothetical World War III will look like. Uh, you listen to it at Radio UF at Student Radio 98.9. My name is Maud. I'm here today with three wonderful co-hosts. Uh, they'll introduce themselves and say your, their favorite war movie. The most recent one that I watched but, uh, that really stayed with me is 1917. And I think I'm a bit late to the party, but I agree with all the reviews that lauded it for its like long one shot. And it's certainly worth the watch. Uh, yeah, hi, I'm Evelina. Um, we kind of joked about this earlier, but uh, I said Transformers because actually I don't watch that much uh, war movies, but I think that kind of could work as well. Hi, my name is Christian, uh, and my favorite war movie would be 300. Hmm. Hi, my name is Melker, and I would say either Jojo Rabbit, if it counts as a war movie, uh, otherwise Troy, because I'm nostalgic and I grew up with it. So we talked about what war movies are, but we're also going to talk about warfare is. But uh, we're, when talking about future warfare, one of the first things that come to mind is cyber warfare. And Elie Felina is going to tell you about that. Yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit about cyber warfare. And for those of you who don't already know, cyber warfare is the use of digital attacks against enemy states as a strategic form of warfare uh, through shutting down or impairing vital functions for the country of attack. And this can happen through attacks on computer systems, hacking digital infrastructure, cyber espionage, disinformation uh, campaigns uh, to undermine and disrupt media to create chaos, and uh, we're actually going to discuss the phenomenon on cyber warfare, uh, the all of all of us as well. Um, and uh, cyber warfare is also done with the strategic intent of weakening the opponent or country of attack by threatening the integrity and function of the nation. And the most common strategies uh, include destabilization, where um, the goal is to take down critical infrastructures uh, such as banking systems, uh, water supplies, dams and electric power and you do this because you want to um, shake the core of the country and sort of like a f- physical impact without doing it too visual. And um, another one is data theft and I'm sure a lot of you have heard about Ed- Edward Snowden a few years back yeah, yeah. and this is something we're going to discuss as well like where the line for 
cyber attacks and espionage is going, we're going to talk about is the what ha- what happened in the U.S. presidential election of 2016, and if that qualifies as cyber warfare, and the misinformation of the U.S. presidential election uh, is one of the biggest ones uh, where Russia played a huge role in spreading, allegedly at least, uh, spreading false information throughout the campaigning about the presidential election candidates, parties, and undermining the entire belief system, basically, in the democratic system uh, and and election processes. And uh, the major effect on this has created chaos and undermined democracy in the US that still affects the political position within the country and the relations across borders. So there's still speculation of how much of the mistrust of the media that is spread internally from different media and how involved Russia was with the election of 2016. And uh, there is a a political scientist that's named Clausewitz and that conceptualized war as an instrument of policy. I can't pronounce this word, I'm sorry, envisaged the application. of uh, military force against the center of gravity, uh, which is commonly interpreted to refer to a physical location on a battlefield to achieve a victory. However, as we see in the phenomenon of uh, cyber warfare, it is not as clear who the enemy is, uh, what has happened and for how long the attack has been going on. And this means that the perpetrator receives somewhat of a plausible deniability in the act of warfare, which increases the difficulty of detecting and pointing out what's happening. Yes, thank you. And uh, like you said, that's something we'll be discussing furthermore. Like Melko is going to talk about the zone warfare, but what do we see as warfare? So the leading uh, question this episode is like the future of warfare. What is warfare? What is the future of warfare? And uh, Melko will take this discussion further. Yeah, uh, looking a little bit at um, the Swedish perspective on this, because gray zone warfare is a thing that's used a lot in Swedish um, uh, research papers regarding the Swedish defense. And I like the term grey zone warfare. It's the millennial equivalent of Cold War, I guess. Uh, Analogous to hybrid and nonlinear warfare. And as we talked about previously, cyber warfare is a big part of it. And uh, it is important to be uh, uh, prepared for this drawn out, unclear grey zone issue where you're not sure who is attacking you, why they're attacking you, and whether they use cyber warfare, sabotage, or election tampering. It's the problematic with it emerges from the fact that it's hard to just launch a military offense if you're not sure who is messing with you. And is it an adequate response? Um, How would you um, approach this issue? Do you think um, election theft could be a causus belli? I mean, it's it's definitely interesting topic to discuss, like, when is it war when it comes to cyber warfare? And I think, like, the impact of it how large the impact is like for example in the case of the u.s election uh there was problematic uh, about disinformation but at the same time you ca- it's hard for you to localize this disinformation and connect the dots so i think it's a little bit harder when it comes to each subject like for example if we take taking out the electric grid of a country that could be considered a little bit serious because it's doing a lot of damage to the country uh, but at the same time, as it's a cyber uh, activity, it's very hard to, to draw the lines. Is this a user error? Is there a, a machine problem? Is there a fault in the system in the country itself? Or is it actually a, an, a foreign act that 
is potentially hard to detect. Definitely. Yeah, and even just a quick, and even if we know that it's a foreign act, it can be a uh, just a hacker organization uh, connected to the country, and that's another layer to it. Yeah, what you say, like a hacker organization connected to the country, I think that's what's also interesting about Ukraine and Russia right now. Like Ukraine, you know, kind of called for a, you know, an a, almost an amateur army of like IT hackers, uh, but they're like distancing themselves a bit from it now because they're also kind of losing you know uh control over this army uh which is which is interesting because uh like how like what do we see as escalation also with these kind of things this is just like a side note on what you were saying i was just thinking like the malcare pointed out that it, it could just be a group or something and not associated with the country and i saw recently like the anonymous kind of made a statement that they were going to do like counterattacks on russia in case of ukraine so that's also super interesting with how it works, it's really it really is difficult to predict who who's to take responsibility for what's happening. And as yeah. you said, Christian, it's really different levels of severity in some cases. If someone were to cut off water, is that worse than you know losing internet or spreading misinformation? That's really hypothetical and kind of yeah. So it's really interesting. Yeah, uh, because I don't think cyber attacks. If we know that a country did it, then that would almost be a case for war or at least sanctions. But like misinformation, it's my hot take perhaps, but I don't think that the Russians told the Trump voter anything that they didn't already believe. In the grand scheme of things, misinformation is just pointing someone slightly in the right direction. Mm. So it's my personal opinion, but I would probably cost, uh, lay that at a, a lower part of the uh, escalation totem pole perhaps. Well, yeah, I I don't agree with you uh, on the part that like I think misinformation people you know specifically targeting these people you know uh, like kind of disenfranchising them from the mainstream news. Of course, it's a process, but I feel like they definitely accelerated it. And in that sense, I think uh, I feel like we shouldn't underplay that. At the same time, I agree with you that in like terms on where it stands on like warfare. Uh, it's like on the lower segments or mm. um. yeah I ca- I'm kind of on the same track with Maud that if you change people's minds that's more dangerous in a way than water cutting down and uh, I'm handing off to Melker now I think oh, no, we or Maud we're heading to a commercial break I think. oh yeah <laughs> that was Capitano by Madi Banja uh, welcome back to Radio UF at Student Radio 98.9. Following gunpowder and nuclear arms, uh, killer robots can be seen as the third revolution in warfare. And uh, we interviewed uh, someone from the Swedish Peace and Arbitration Society about it. And we're going list- to like show you the f- fragments. My name is Deborah Binyam Solomon, and I am the campaign manager against killer robots at the Swedish Peace and Arbitration Society. Yeah. So uh, what are the main issues that would be brought about by automating warfare with killer robots? Um, So there's many issues uh, that are present when we automate warfare. For example, there's the legal principle of accountability, that we don't know who will be held accountable if such weapons are used. Um, It's difficult to establish proportionality because it's not a human being making these decisions. It's difficult for a machine to distinguish between a human being, a soldier and a combatant. But also, in terms of ethics, it is 
indefensible to derogate uh, the right to human dignity by having a machine be in charge of what, who gets to live and who gets to die. So if you see a ban mm -hmm. coming, when do you foresee that that will be like in the short term or will it be like, in, like maybe in five years or maybe in, in like 50 years? Do you see this possibility that it'll, it'll happen? It's difficult to establish a timeline like that because it really depends on the states. So if the states decide to take it out of the CCW, the Convention for Conventional Weapons, for example, um, it might be faster. But if they choose to stay within the system, then we don't know how long it'll take. We hope that it'll be shorter than longer to kind of catch up with the technology, but it's hard to say. Yeah, could you elaborate a bit more, like how far the technology is of Gilabarut? Yeah, it's difficult to to say as well because it's hard to kind of quantify and to uh, keep a track of. It's it's easier to think of uh, killer robots or AI not as a specific type of weapon, but more as a new type of fuel or a new type of pilot because people think killer robots will look a certain way, but it's actually about equipping traditional weaponry with a new form of fuel, a new way for them to run. So instead of a person making these decisions, it's a computer. Uh, but there have been reports by the UN that in 2020, an autonomous weapon system may have been used in Libya. So that is the latest we have so far. Uh, what are the current processes that are in the works to, uh, that has the goal of uh, uh, banning or at least controlling autonomous weapons? Um, so right now it's the negotiations that are going on within something called the Convention for Conventional Weapons or the CCW. So within that there are a number of states parties to this convention that every five years have a review conference and then in between have uh, meetings called uh, of groups of governmental experts. So right now that is the main process that is going on to either regulate or ban these weapons. We would like to see something also happening outside of this process because unfortunately the CCW is consensus-based, which slows down any progress if one country decides to be a roadblock. Yeah, because in whose interest is it to block this? Uh, it is in the interest of the countries that want to develop these weapons. Um, it's in the interest of countries like Russia, like the US, like Israel, like India, who have acted as roadblocks to progress and acted to slow down progress in these meetings. If a ban were to be implemented, how would you classify that ban? What, what would it be covering in, in it? So a ban would be a a legally binding instrument within international law and it would right now as the process is looking it would cover fully autonomous lethal weapon systems that was a happy ending by jelly crystal and ellis booman and now Christian will discuss a hypothetical World War III. Yeah, so I'm going to speak a little bit about how a hypothetical World War III is going to look like. Uh, but we do know that today in, in the world there are areas where there are a, a little bit of tension. Like we have, for example, the China and Taiwan and maybe Israel and Iran. 
But let's look at a broader scope and, and see like where, what could a potential World War III look like. So first of all, we would see that there will be more alliances and countries would form more alliances like we have with NATO, for example. Uh, so we would see that NATO, for example, would be uh, growing in strength by combining both Europe and, and North America and Australia. Uh, at the same time, we will also see a uh, uh, Eastern uh, or Asian region with uh, India, uh, China, Russia, uh, also in North, uh, North Korea forming an alliance. And this is the reason because you want to, to have a good amount of partnership with countries to be have friends in this war. Uh, and at the same time, countries that do not uh, join these uh, alliances would be in a risky situations. Uh, countries that are close to those alliances would probably join that alliance uh, to secure their own border security, but also lower the risk of uh, invasion. So after all the alliances and groups and of countries has joined, uh, World War Three would probably not look like World War One or Two. It would be more strategic. Uh, it would be more focused on secu securing countries' supply chains, uh, and at the same time. What is mostly interesting is that we citizens will probably see the sky flaring up. And that might sound like something out of the book of Revelation, uh, Revelations, but it's not actually something, or it, it is something that might happen. And the reason for that is that we have around 6,000 satellites in our orbit. And countries would like to re really destroy these satellites because they are very beneficial for war reasons. Uh, you can you can use them to localize the enemy's troops and also crucial areas. So at the same time, you can maybe imagine 6,000 satellites dropping down from the heavens. And then we arrive at the worst case scenario where we would actually reach a nuclear war. In this scenario, there is no turning back because once a nuke is launched, that is the end of the humankind. So... I would like to highlight the importance of what a nuclear uh, rocket or missile is compared to regular missiles or rockets. And when we think about rockets, uh, we try to avoid the blast of where it hits. But with nuclear wars or nukes in, in general, we even though we escape the blast, we cannot escape nuclear winter. With nuclear winter, you will probably die, of course, uh, as sad as it sounds like, but your body will be boiling from the radiation, but your your outer body will be freezing from the cold weather. So at the same Lovely. time, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so I mean, if anything, if a nuclear war happens, it's the end of the humankind and all kind of living. I would like to end this scenario with a quote from Albert Einstein himself, where he was asked by a friend in if. Uh, about what kind of what kinds of weapon he would he would see in a potential World War Three, and he said, "I quote, I don't know what weapons might be used in World War Three, but there isn't any doubt what weapons will be used in World War Four. And when asked by his friend, uh, "What kinds of weapon will be used in World War Four?" he said, "Stone spears." That was Vacuum Kulisena by Lamix. That was great. Mm? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm trying my best. Um, so uh, we just kind of all agreed that we don't think World War Three is happening. But 
how can we define war? Like, when is it actually a war? I have a good example, and maybe like, uh, like maybe explaining before I give the example is like it depends on what kind of aggressor and uh, who who is part of the the act. So one good example I have is the targeting of the Iranian general Soleimani in uh, in Iraq, and for me myself, that I consider that as an act of war, of course, uh, because that general is like the highest level in Iran, and. If we were in a scenario where Iran was more powerful and a bigger country with stronger military, I would expect that that situation would escalate into a potential war. But since we are in a scenario where it's U.S. versus Iran and Iran does not have the capability to attack the U.S., we mitigated that potential scenario. I don't know. What do you think? Instead, I go for gray zone warfare, like um, um, disrupting embassies and things like that. And moving to Ukraine, we can see that there I, there is no world war because the entirety of Europe might be involved on Ukraine's side, but there's no troops. So I guess that's the classical Uppsala conflict database definition of uh, uh, in armed incompatibility that more than 25 people die in. Uh, so we are not involved yet. Hmm. But like, which definition did you give? From uh, the UCDP? Uppsala conflict database yeah. on uh, armed conflict. Yeah, like, because yeah. their war definition, I just took that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that is like a state-based conflict which reaches at least a thousand battle-related deaths. Mm -hmm. So if we're looking at that, then it's mm. quite a long while before it's war. But yeah. I mm. think like in that sense, like research doesn't always tie in with, uh, with like real world, right? And it's all... Yeah, mm -hmm. research is usually uh, like also made like afterwards and you know predicting from something that's already happened um but for of the course. future yeah so as i agree like it, it would be difficult in a scenario if, if it w were to develop into a war uh, a war uh, when that would be and also um i don't know if we clarify that but there's a difference between act of wars and uh, actual war mm. and i think modern military are studying uh, peace and conflict so maybe you want to do a short explanation would you like to uh now i'm uh, it's not hard sure. to define yeah right? it's exactly it's, it's yeah. exam time exam yeah. time <laughs> but uh, i will give you an exam yeah uh, to to boil it down it's like okay how 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 mad do you make the other country because if you kidnap the president then that would not maybe involve killing someone but you would probably still have a war declared against you so uh, I, uh, the definitions are only definitions. It's yeah. hard to tell, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, but conclusion: we're not in a World War Three as of now. Yeah. According to definition. Yeah, <laughs> according to definitions. Yeah, but that's. But a who knows? Thing. On an abstract level, who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we haven't reached the year yet. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, it's not yeah, going to reach the year. Yeah, definitely. I don't want to die. You know. Yeah. Knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we talked a little bit about cyber warfare and the uh, abstract with that. I think uh, yeah. you, Christian, had some point in the break. And we're going to have to take it very quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, c cyber warfare is definitely interesting because it changes the scope of a potential war. Uh, it can ca cause a lot of damage with a lot uh, with a little impact uh, by the country that's deploying it. So it's definitely interesting on, on several points, but I feel like... Uh, you can discuss this for a very long time in, in regards to when it's act of war. That was Unnecessary Drama by Belle and Sebastian. 
Um, so today we discussed uh, warfare, the future of warfare. I feel like we all have a lot of questions left, uh, but I think that's always you know a lot of speculations where you're talking about the future. Uh, and I think only time can tell, but like we discussed in the beginning, these things are developing rapidly, too rapidly probably, uh, which is what makes it so scary. Um, but thank you for listening to us. We'll be back next week, same time, uh, from 8 to 9 at Student Radio Nitiota Comania. And next week we'll be talking about the environment. Another such big topic. Um, like to remind you that we also have the socials, so follow us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, and we'll catch you next week. Bye. We sure will. Bye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye, everyone. Bye bye. Podversion av ett program från Studentradion 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller där poddar finns. Och kom ihåg att lyssna fritt är stort, att lyssna rätt är större. större.